Well, privilege. Privilege. Dictionary.com says that a privilege is a right. A privilege is immunity or a benefit enjoyed by a person beyond the advantages of most. A privilege is a benefit enjoyed by a person beyond the advantages of most. Think about these, a few numbers here from the organizations UNICEF and WHO, the World Health Organization. Just some statistics that I found pretty staggering today. This one, 844 million people don't have access to clean water. And I saw some numbers that actually suggested even more than that. 844 million people don't have access to clean water. 2.3 billion people don't have access to a working toilet. And according to the World Bank, 80% of the world's population lives on about $10 a day. Again, another stat from UNICEF. As of the year 2000, there were nearly 1 billion people unable to read or sign their names. You know, there's, there's privileges in life, like running water, clean water, toilets that flush, that, you know, the ability to pick up a Bible and read it, the ability to, to pick up a pen and sign our names. The, these are things that we enjoy. These are blessings in our lives that we enjoy that if you're anything like me, you, you enjoy them on a regular basis and you give very little thought to them. I mean, sure, maybe we go on a mission trip here or there and we come back and and we go on that short-term missionship crusade that, that happens when we all get back and we talk about, you know, how privileged we are in America and, and everything else. And that, then eventually, though, that, that passion sort of wanes, doesn't it? And, and we begin to flush our toilets like it's no big deal. Although I know the drought in California last couple of years put a, a little bit of a, a question mark even on that. But, but still, all of these things that, that are just a normative part of our lives that we take for granted. And you know, when it comes to our relationship with Christ, it can be the same. There can be these privileges and these blessings in our life that we just take for granted because we're so familiar with them. We've grown up hearing about them or we've spent so much time reading about them in the scriptures that we, we take them for granted. We just live in light of them, but we don't really spend too much time thankful or grateful for them. Paul talks about some of these earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1. He lists a few of these, uh, predestination. Okay, we'll get past that one pretty quickly here. I don't want to ruffle too many feathers on, on anything. But it's in, it's in the Bible. I'm just, it's in the Bible. Predestination, redemption, that we've been redeemed. Adoption, that we've been adopted by, by God. How about the fact that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit? What that's referring to is the, the, the old practice of a king or a ruler some authority sealing a, a message with his mark on the envelope. And what that said is, it, and it was done with wax, it said that, that nobody had the authority to break that seal except the recipient or the one who had sent the letter. And so Paul says we've been sealed by God with his mark. What's that mark? It's the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. And Paul says as a guarantee of our future inheritance. Then there's that inheritance. Again, these blessings that we have received from the Lord. This is Ephesians chapter 1. And, and then we get to Ephesians chapter 2 and the great blessing that we have in, in Christ in the gospel. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, alienated from the Lord, following the prince of the power of this air, right? And then we come to that, that great but God. 
but God made you alive together with him and has seated you in the heavenly places along with Christ Jesus. I mean, that, that blessing of the gospel. Tonight, though, we're going to come to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to see that there's, there's blessings that, again, we may have become so accustomed to that they've lost their impact for us. And so tonight, I hope to remind us of these great privileges, these great blessings, both to encourage us with the thoughts of the fact that, that they're ours, but also to prompt us to rethink what sort of impact they should be having in our lives. Because of the gospel, because of the gospel, we all enjoy privileges that should instill in every one of us an overwhelming gratitude. Grab your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read down through verse 12. I just want to read the text together and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Paul says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that th through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him in whom we have boldness and access, access with confidence through our faith in him. Again, the one writing this, as he says right there in chapter 3, verse 1, is Paul. Think back for a moment to Paul's conversion. Acts chapter 9, right? I don't know of a, of a more intense 180 gospel story than the conversion of Paul, than Saul at the time. What's Saul doing when he's saved? Yeah, he's going out, he's on the road to Damascus, right? And he's going out with letters from the authorities, the Jewish authorities, allowing him to go and take believers wherever he finds them and to imprison them. So what Paul was doing, what Saul at the time was doing, was he was in the business of going in and breaking up believing families, Christian families, finding those who were followers of the way at this time. And going in and, and imprisoning them, breaking them up. We know he was present at the stoning of Stephen. And so he was also uh, at least compl complicit in the execution of some believers. And Paul's on his way to go do more of this. When God shows up and, and kicks him off his donkey. And Saul hits the ground. And, and you guys know the, the story. If you don't, Acts chapter 9 verse 1 through 18. Read it later. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you doing what? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm the one that you are persecuting. And Saul's 
vision is taken away from him until he goes to the house of, of Ananias, right, on, on straight lane. And he goes in there, and, and at first Ananias is saying, what are you doing, God? You don't know who this is. And God says, oh, I know who he is. Lay hands on him, pray for him. I've, I'm going to show him what he's got to suffer for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. Anyways, that's Saul's conversion experience. He goes from on his way to kill people to now on his way to be one of the, the leading voices for the establishment and the spread of the early church. What happened to Saul, now Paul? Well, what happened to him is he had a radical transformation. He had a, a, a radical change in direction in his life. He had a, a purpose prior to conversion, which is I'm going to attack the church, kill the church, destroy the church. And that purpose was totally transformed at conversion. And now he was going out as a servant of the church to see the church spread. Some ways that Paul describes his new purpose in life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Again, the words coming from Paul would have been astounding to those who heard him, who knew his former lifestyle. He says this, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me, cursed am I, damned am I, if I don't preach the gospel. That's quite a change, isn't it? He has a new direction, a new purpose in life. Romans 1, 1 through 6. He says, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart, what? For the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, a commission, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ the persecutor of the church, the great dragon of, the, 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 of the, the Jews who would go out to imprison and kill believers, now says, I've received a commission from God to go out and bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name amongst the Gentiles. Ephesians 1.1 in the book that we're looking at tonight. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Again, an apostle is one sent with a message. Philippians 1, 21 through 22a, it's familiar to us. For me to what? For me to live is Christ. For me to live is summed up in the name of the one I used to seek to destroy and snuff out with everything in me. For me to live is Christ, to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means more fruitful labor for me. Not killing Christians, making Christians by preaching the gospel. Well, in our text in chapter 3, Paul again returns to this idea of this transformation that's taken place in his life, and he refers to it as a stewardship. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. 
Paul received a new stewardship, had this transformation take place in his life. And if you profess Christ as your savior, savior, you've experienced this life change as well. You too have received a stewardship from the Lord. Sure, it, it looks different than it did for Paul, doesn't it? Of course it does. It's not gonna look exactly the same. We're not gonna be writing any books of the New Testament. If you think you have, come talk to me. We'll sit down with Pastor Mike. We'll go over a few things. But nonetheless, we've been given a stewardship too, right, of, of God's grace. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal, what? Through us. Through us. All of us are his ambassadors, Paul says. We're his representatives. That's our stewardship. See, this is one of those blessings, those privileges that maybe we've been taking for granted. And that's this. We get to be used by God. We get to be used by God to see the lost saved, to see blind eyes opened. And it's point number one for us tonight. It's this. We need to thank God for your gospel stewardship. Thank God for your gospel stewardship. What does the word stewardship mean? See, I, I used to, to have a misunderstanding of this word. It has nothing to do with taking care of your own possessions. It has everything to do with taking care of someone else's possessions that they've entrusted to you. And so Paul says that we have a stewardship, or he's describing himself, but I, I'm going to make the point that all of us have this, has a stewardship of God's grace. Where do we see God's grace most plainly on display? Rhymes with schmospel starts with a G. Come on, guys. Gospel, right? That's where we see God's grace most plainly on display. We have been entrusted with, given, granted, the message of the gospel of God's grace. Just as Paul was entrusted with that message, guess what, guys? That message has not changed from the moment Paul was saved to the moment you were saved to the moment the last soul on this earth will be saved. And God has given us the stewardship. He's entrusted us with the message, his message of salvation to go out with that message to the lost, to see lost souls saved. And so how do we do this? How do we steward the gospel? Well, if you're out there still sitting, sitting there tonight going, well, you know what? We steward the gospel by going to a Bible-believing church and letting other people preach the gospel. I'm about to ruin your night. And I love you, though. Matthew 28, it's a familiar passage, right? 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the great commission. Who was commissioned? All of us. And what were we commissioned with? The stewardship of God's Grace revealed in the gospel. Go make disciples. How do we make disciples apart from the gospel? You can't. You have to employ the gospel. How about this one? How do I steward the gospel? Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. 
Romans 10, 13 through 15. By the way, if, if you ever run into somebody, this is just a sidebar. Somebody, and in, in they find out that you believe in that, that P word, that, that bad word that I mentioned earlier, predestination, that makes our skin crawl. If, if anyone ever hears that you believe in that word and, and they point a finger at you and they go, oh, you don't believe that we should go out and share the gospel, do you? I always have them turn to Romans 10 and read this passage with me. Here's why. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear, here it is, without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Who was sent? Matthew 28, all of us were sent to go and preach the good news of the gospel. So how do I respond to somebody who says, well, you believe in predestination or you're a Calvinist. You don't believe in, in evangelism. I say this, I, of course I do. The way that God has chosen to save those that he predestined is by using us as the instruments to go out and preach the gospel that he will then enact and open their blind eyes and their lives to believe. And so I absolutely believe that predestination and evangelism are compatible. They 100% are. All of them are part of God's plan. But, but to our text, how do I steward the gospel? You've got to go out with it. You've got to go to the lost with it. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, we read part of this passage earlier, but it says this in fullness. All this is from God who through Christ, what, reconciled us to himself. He brought us near to himself. And not only that, but he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Guys, that's a, a, such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to steward the grace, steward the gospel is to go out and implore someone, be reconciled to Christ. I need to, to communicate to you how big this is, how much this matters right now. The language there is so strong. I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How do I steward the gospel? You go out and you share the gospel with the lost in your life. And guys, this is, it's not a burden, okay? It's not something to be dreaded. It is truly a privilege and a blessing. If, if you've ever had the privilege of, of being present, of being used by God to preach the gospel to someone and, and they've responded to it in faith, if you've experienced that, you know what a privilege and a blessing it is to be present for that. How amazing it is, how much joy it is to see the, somebody go from death to life right before your eyes. I mean, God could have gone, hold out, time out. Uh, I'm going to take this half of you and go saved, and this half of you and say, well, you guys are, are sinners going to hell anyways. But he didn't do that. Instead, he chose to use us to go out and be a part of this whole process of saving those that he had set apart. That's an amazing privilege that we get to steward the gospel along with Paul. Well, Paul keeps going. Pick up in verse four. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. My family recently got passes gifted to us at Christmas time to go to Disneyland. And so that means that God's working on my patience. But while we're already enjoying what's there, there's a part of Disneyland that's under construction right now. Some of you guys know what it is, right? Star Wars land, right? And I can tell you what, my my eight-year-old son is drooling over Star Wars land. He can't wait for it to open up and to go and to to see it all there and to to be in the the realm of Star Wars. Well, right now, we we see the cranes over there, and and you can kind of see the the edifices being built and constructed, but the whole thing is is shrouded in, in mystery, isn't it? And you kind of walk by and, and you can't get anywhere near it, but y- you, you look over there and you long to know, man, what is Star Wars land going to be like? What, what's, gonna, what's it going to be like? What are the stores they're going to have over there? What, what, what are the rides they're going to have over there? And, you know, you hear rumors and you can see some artists' renderings, but really until we, we actually walk through and we're able to walk into the reality of Star Wars land, we're not going to know what it's really going to be like. In, in some ways, y'all, that's how the prophets felt when they were prophesying about the coming of Christ. You guys didn't know that I was going to pull that analogy out tonight, did you? Star Wars land and the prophets prophesying about Jesus. You'd never put those two together, did you? Now you have. But in some ways, that's, that's how they felt. It was shrouded in mystery for them. And as much as my son's anticipation is to get into Star Wars land, the prophet's anticipation to know, Isaiah's anticipation to know exactly what Isaiah 53 was going to look like. Daniel's anticipation to know. Micah, Ezekiel, all these. In fact, Peter mentions it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched And inquired carefully, inquiring over what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. But see, guys, for you and and I, for you and me, the mystery's been removed. And that's what Paul's saying here in our text in verses four through six. He's saying, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, Partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, what? Through the gospel. Wow. Paul makes it clear how God accomplished this earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, just one chapter back, verse 11 through 16. There Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember 
Remember that, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God, draw us both near to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Even reading passages like that that are are, are familiar to us. Reading through the Gospels and the DBR, the Daily Bible reading, going through these things, and and they're so familiar to us. That should remind us of, of what an amazing privilege and blessing we have as believers. To know what the prophets longed to know. To be on the backside of the cross. To know the gospel in its fullness. Think about this. You have had access to, now whether or not you were brought up in a believing family or not, but, but the, the, the fullness of the gospel was available to you from the moment that you were born. There has not been a single day that you have lived on earth that that. Believers have not had access to the full knowledge of what the prophets longed to know. Men like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they long to know what is now so familiar to us. That's our second privilege and blessing for us tonight. You can write it down for point number two. Be grateful for your gospel saturation. Be grateful for your gospel saturation. You know, a lot of times we look at this from a, a negative standpoint and, and talk about how, you know, there are so many people that, that don't have it and we need to, to be spurred on to, to get the message out there. And yes, we do. But I, I want to look at it from the positive standpoint tonight. You guys, we have the, the, the gospel everywhere if we want it. In fact, I'd go so far as to say there's probably not a a time in your day where the gospel is not at your fingertips. It's on your phones. It's on computer screens. If if you're like the majority of us in the room, if we're going to be honest, you probably take one of those two things into the the john with you, don't you? One of my professors uh, in seminary said he kept a Bible on the back of his, his... his toilet, so that he could always be reminded of the stench of his sin. But it's, it's always there, isn't it? You say, well, what about when I go to bed? Do you set your phone on your bedside table? Can you reach it? It's there. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Be thankful. Be grateful for that. Does your knowledge of the gospel lead you to worship? Does it prompt you a, a grateful attitude in your life? You have something Moses didn't have, something Abraham didn't have, something Joshua didn't have, something David didn't have, something Samuel didn't have. 
See, they had to believe without all of the pieces in place, but it's not so for us. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 39 through 40, chapter 11 is the great hall of faith chapter, right? He goes through and says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And he goes through all of these things. And then he concludes and he says, all of these, verse 39, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. We have something better than David, Joshua, Ezekiel, Daniel. We have something better than all of these guys. We have the full revelation of the gospel. What a blessing and a privilege it is for us to have such familiarity with the gospel. Yes, it ratchets up our responsibility. Yes, we should be driven to to go out with it. That goes into our our point number one, doesn't it? To to be about the business of, of stewarding the gospel because we do have such access to it. But guys, take a moment tonight and be grateful to the Lord. Be thankful for him for, for providing this for you. Well, one of the effects of the gospel, right, is, is the church. And the church is, is an organization that's unique in so many different ways. In fact, from an outside perspective, the church makes little sense at all. My stepdad is, is an unbeliever, and he and, and my mom have always talked about the sense of community that Amanda, my wife, and I have always felt in the church. And they've always looked for that and longed for that and wanted that, but they've never been able to find it. And they look at the church and they go, what is it about that place that PJ and Amanda have always felt such a connection, such love, such joy, such passion for? I mean, think about it. We all have different jobs. We all have different preferences. Some of us have different views on politics. We have different families, different family backgrounds. We have different skin tones. We have different socioeconomic statuses. We have different zip codes. We have different ages. What, from a world standard, aside from our gender in this room tonight, would would cause any of us to gather together like this on a weekly basis? Nothing! We even have different sports preferences in this room. And so, yet, despite everything that is so different about us, we all come together. And not just here, we come together on the weekends, right? United and bound to one another by one thing. See, Paul keeps going in chapter 3. Pick up in verse 8. To me, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Here it is, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's an amazing statement. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. See, something amazing happens when we preach the gospel and lost are saved. They are baptized, Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, into one body, in one spirit. They become a part of the, the body of Jesus Christ. Joshua Harris wrote a book called Why Church Matters, and, and it's, 
two slides up. Can you guys jump to that quote for me real quick? And then we'll jump back to the, the next point. It says this, the heavenly beings look down at the church and they see an amazing family. The power of the gospel is not only changing individuals, but is also creating a whole new kind of humanity. In the midst of a strife-torn world, a world divided by gender, by race, by class, by political ideology, the church is a city set on a hill where people who once hated God and each other become God's children and members of one family. That, that's what Paul's talking about here when he says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The way in which you and I have fellowship together, the way in which we come together on the weekends, the way in which we care for one another, where we serve one another, how we work together, Paul says it's displaying God's manifold wisdom and not just to non-Christians, but to the entire spiritual realm that has never experienced such unity, such love expressed amongst themselves. That's our third privilege and our third point tonight. It's this, be thankful for your place in God's family, in your gospel family, excuse me. Be thankful for your place in your gospel family family. Are you thankful for your brothers and sisters in Christ that the Lord has placed in your life? Are you thankful for the men around your table tonight? I hope so. I'm thankful for each and every single one of you guys, and I'm blown away that the Lord uses gatherings like this to call the heavenly hosts around him and to point down and to say, look, See how incredible my wisdom is, how amazing my gospel is, that it can produce this. That's what Paul's saying. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, not to those on earth, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's an amazing privilege and blessing that we get that we get to be a part of that. Is it any wonder that the writer of Hebrews wrote what he did in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25? Let us consider, let us think about, let us ponder how we can stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord's return, drawing near. No, let's be intentional to rejoice in gratitude over God's plan that he saves us and unites us together as part of a body of believers. How lonely would the Christian life be? We talked about it earlier, how exhausting it is to fight for, for holiness and tr to try to live this life of, of sanctification that God has called us to. Imagine trying to do that by yourself without your brothers in Christ. And yet God has designed it such that when he saves us, he saves us to be part of a gospel family. He saves us to be part of the church. There's one more privilege and blessing in our passage tonight for which we can be thankful for, and it will lead us to an appropriate conclusion to this passage. It's in chapter 3, verse 11. Pick up with me there. It says this. This, this God displaying his manifold wisdom, 
This was according to the eternal purpose. The eternal purpose, that purpose that he set forth in eternity past, that he has now realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. In Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Boldness and access to what or to whom? To God, right? To God the Father. I touched on it at some point in 1 Samuel. It was in our DBR recently, but actually this chapter 19 blows me away every single time I read it. The power of God. Smoke goes up from the mountain. The mountain trembles and quakes and shakes. Trumpet blasts come out of nowhere. God speaks to to the people in thunder. It's such that even after this, Moses comes back down from the mountain and he he goes to the people and the people say, hey, 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 you go talk to God for us. We're good, man. You go talk to him. We don't need to hear directly. We'll just trust what you have to say. That lasts for at least a little while, right? Until Aaron and the golden calf and all that. But, but it, it, that scene, and then you, you take that and you think about what Paul just, what, what he's written, what we just read. That in Jesus, we have boldness and act, we have boldness. Boldness to come before the Lord. And access with confidence, not Not going in like the high priest did once a year into the Holy of Holies who had bells hanging off his robe so that if he screwed up and he died and they stopped hearing the jingle jangle of the bells, they could pull him out from the Holy of Holies. I'm sorry, that's not confidence. But Paul's saying that you and I now in Christ because of the gospel have confidence to come before the Lord in faith. Hopefully you're already thinking about this passage. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, every respect has been tempted as we are yet without Sin, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne room is perpetually open for those of you who know Christ as your Savior. You have an all-access pass to come before your heavenly Father to find grace and help in time of need. What a blessing. What a privilege. To be able to go over the heads of the rulers, the authorities, the bosses, the unbelievers, the principalities in this world, and straight to the creator of everything. Our final privilege tonight as we close our time together is this. Be grateful for your gospel access. Be grateful for your gospel access access as there was nothing profound in my words tonight and that was my intention 
I simply wanted to, to bring these privileges, these blessings before us. You guys know them. This isn't an epiphany moment. This isn't brand new information. You guys know these. I just wanted to, to bring them before us one more time, just to, to stir us up towards an increased effort to be thankful for those blessings and those privileges that we have that we so often take for granted in our walks with Christ. The, the stewardship of the gospel, the saturation that we have of the gospel, the family that the gospel has created for us and the access that it's provided for us to the Lord.